it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix vampires, mutants, werewolves, and panty shots? Why, you get Vampire Hunter D. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast, and we are finally doing some anime. Um, so first off, the very first thing I want to say that these are the dubs. Now I can't really do Japanese. Uh, I've wanted to do a lot of Japanese cinema, but it's really hard for me with some of them to really do the dubs. But with anime, I kind of feel like I can get away with it in a way <laughs> um, because sometimes they aren't that bad. Now. Both the movies that we're going to be focused on this month for at least these types of anime films, they're going to be 80s dubs. Now, when you listen to it, it's going to be weird. Okay, I get it. It's it's always weird doing animation versus anything else. But even when you look back at the last episode we did of Heavy Metal, not all the voices kind of worked. Uh, at times, it seemed a little out of place. But it's a lot easier because everything's being done in the natural language. And when it comes to anime, when they do dubs, the reason that they accentuate something or they extend a vowel or they do something is to match the lip movement. Especially in the 80s and 90s where you get some of the worst dubs that you have. It's not as bad nowadays, but personally I do prefer to watch the films in their original Japanese language. Just because it flows a little better. But just like some of our shows that we have here... Not all of the dubs or, or I should say, voice actors are the greatest in the world, right? You still have those shows where it's kind of like, yeah, even something like Transformers Beast Wars, and I know I'll get some shit for that, uh, at times really had terrible dubbing. Like, the voice actors didn't do so well, or they tried to match the stiffness of the animation. So you've got some things that don't quite work when you're listening to or while you're watching the show. So... When it comes to both of the movies that we're doing, they do have some issues. And honestly, it's a sign of the times. Please take that with a grain of salt. This is what I grew up on. And yeah, maybe it's nostalgic or whatever, but I've really wanted to talk about these films. And we'll get back into some more newer ones when we start the next month of films. So, in terms of this, uh, Vampire Hunter D has another soft spot in my heart. And actually, all three of these do because... Growing up, you know, watching TBS especially, these movies were kind of always paired with each other. You had a different set of them. There's one more. I was talking with Ben from the Angry Dad podcast over the weekend, uh, last weekend, and there was another movie and neither of us could remember what the other fucking movie was. Uh, and it was really like something to do with some guy in like an armored thing. I don't remember. But the two that I remember the most that I never thought were Japanese animation were Vampire Under D 
and Akira. And it, they were always in some way, shape, or form paired with heavy metal. And this was something that TBS seemed to do all the goddamn time. And again, it's another one of those films where when I finally saw it as an adult, it was weird seeing certain scenes in it. But unlike heavy metal, or even Akira to some extent, but Akira, I think, didn't get as much cut from it as these two films did. It still was something that, you know... It was unexpected when I saw it for the very first time, but when it comes to, like I said, to Vampire Hunter D, it's okay that it's cut out. Like, it isn't like big portions of the story that are manipulated in a way because you didn't see the nudity that was coming. And I'm not saying that this is like, oh, super high flash nudity, oh my god, all the time. No, it's just there's a couple scenes where you're like, what? Like, why is that even in this film? Um, okay, um... And there's one rampant counter that I kept, and I did in the beginning of the film, after I saw the second one, I was like, okay, this has got to happen more often than not. Uh, I counted panty shots in this movie, and there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot more than I remember, and going back and getting the audio and having to basically kind of watch this again, I found more. So I ended with one count, and then now I have a revised count after getting ready for the podcast. So it's very weird that we actually have this stuff, but I guess that's just something that's kind of an old anime. You know, it's not here, of course, you know, it's also known as fan service uh, for some at some times. Uh, and one of my favorite animes of all time, Evangelion, um, and I'm probably saying that totally wrong, but that's the way that I've kind of <laughs> always said it. Um, they always have, like, at the end, Misato, she always comes on and goes, fan service, fan service, uh, talking about, we're, we're going to give you more fan service in the next episode, um, which usually is these types of things. When they talk about that, uh, usually refers to like panty shots or bra shots, boob shots, those type of things. Like, oh, I want to see this character naked, so we're going to provide you with fan service. Uh, so we're going to show you something that's going to entice you with the character. At least that's kind of always I've interpreted. I could be totally wrong, um, but it seems to always be connected with the two. It could mean multiple things, other types of fan service. It's not just nudity or boobs or butts or whatever you want to call it, but this has a lot of it. Um, <laughs> so two things to watch out for, and honestly, I'm going to say this right off the top too, before I get a little more into the film and we actually start going through the film and discussing it. Uh, this is something I think that you should watch. You should watch this before you listen to the podcast. You can pause this right now. You can go to YouTube. You can search for Vampire Hunter D. Both this and Bloodlust, I believe, are on there. Somebody's uploaded both of them. Uh, and go watch Vampire Hunter D. Uh, it's worth it alone for the animation. You can get a lot when it's some of the live-action movies just by going through the dialogue. But this one, the animation really makes the movie like come alive. It's it's difficult to watch again. If you're used to more modern like dubbing, then it's going to be a little rough to watch. I'm not going to lie. It was still a little rough to watch for me. But I like it so much that it's easy to get through. Um, but it did at times. I was like, oh, I forgot how grating this voice was. Oh, I forgot how they did this. Oh, Dan, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so, but I definitely say go watch it because you need to get the experience that's there. And especially the way that the animation flows. It's really beautiful. Um, it's a little dated for the time. I think some of the restorations that you can find out there are a lot better. The one that's actually on YouTube 
looks like a VHS transfer, so it really feels like you're watching it back on TV or on an old VHS tape from back in the day. So it's definitely worth a watch, and please go do so. But if you've seen it before and you just need a refresher, I think you're pretty good on going through the rest of the podcast. It's up to you if you want to watch it again for the first time in a long time. So I definitely do suggest that before going through this. Um, so let's real fast talk about Vampire Hunter D. Now this is based off a long-run series of novels in Japan based around D, the main uh, protagonist of this film. This film was produced in 1985 and hit the States some around somewhere around that time. I remember in the late 80s, early 90s. That's about when I first saw it, when I saw it on TV. Um, it stars as voice actors uh, Michael McConaughey, um, not the, you know, Matthew McConaughey that we're used to, but uh, Michael McConaughey, who has done a ton of voice acting. And again, it seems like with the 80s, everybody's kind of connected. When it comes to different uh, television shows, and a lot of people in this film were actually voice actors in Robotech and other things. But what I found funny about him is that he was in both Teenage Mutant Ninja Troll live action movies. And you say to yourself, well, Terrible Terror, how could he be in them? Like, did he voice one of the Turtles? Was he the, the Shredder? Maybe he was something like that. No. Do you remember the character Tatsu? You know, Shredder's like right-hand man. Well, he was played by a Japanese actor, who I can't remember off the top of my head, but he was dubbed over. I never knew that. I didn't know that until I looked up this guy, uh, this McConaughey here, and he actually did the dub of his voice. So, they couldn't trust a Japanese actor to sound Japanese, so they had to get an American actor to overdub him to have a Japanese accent and say really horrible stuff in English. Weird. So that's what he's kind of known for on his IMDb, but he has a ton of different voice acting gigs, a ton of different video game voice acting gigs. He's just kind of all over the place. So, And then you have Barbara uh, Gort Goodman, uh, who is the voice of Doris. Uh, and then Michael McConaughey, he's the voice of D in this movie, as well as The Hand. Uh, so Doris here, she's been in a bunch of stuff, including Akira, but she wasn't a main character in Akira, she was one of the side characters, so we'll talk about her again. But what I found surprising is that you might recognize her most for, and this is a shout out to both Dave and Pat here, because I know they love it, um, the Power Rangers. She was Rita Repulsa for a long fucking time. So she was the dub of Rita Repulsa in the Power Rangers series here in the U.S., uh, and that's kind of one of her big claim to fame. When you look at our IMDb, she's got at least five or four titles that are up there, and three of the four are all Power Ranger stuff, and Vampire Hunter D is not even one. So it's very interesting to, to kind of go back. And she also did a ton of Robotech stuff. She was in the third generation of the Robotech series, which is a series that I truly love. And every once in a while, I'll start going back and watching the whole thing all the way through. Um, so it's, and it's funny, the, the person that also voices Dan, the brother, she was also in Robotech. And then the person that voices Lamika, the uh, vampire girl person, Vampire girl person. Oh boy, the daughter of Count Magnus Lee. I should probably say it that way. She also did a couple of little things back, and she was in the Robotech 2 Rise of the Sinistrals, or whatever it's called, um, that like made for video movie that came out that was like a continuation 
of the first Macross saga that was used in Robotech that was done by Harmony Gold themselves rather than being done within the Macross universe that everybody knows and loves from Japan. Because I don't want to get into too much about Robotech, but if you know the story, it's a combination of a couple of different things. We'll leave it there. I could talk about Robotech forever, too, but that's not what this is about. This is about anime. Um, so... This movie itself uh, it gained cult following and really for a lot of people during the 80s was the true introduction to what was known then as Japanimation. Uh, now we know it as anime and it's always been known as anime. But when it first hit the States, that's what everybody called it. I remember growing up and hearing people call it that. And then you learn the proper terms and everybody gets the proper terms and everybody calls it. And now you got Weebos telling you if you call it Japan Japanimation that they're going to rip your heads off. Uh, so... It was, uh, you know, like I said, it's based off of a set of books all around Vampire Hunter D. The release date in Japan was December 21st of 1985. Uh, the screenplay itself was done by Yasushi Hirano, and it's based on the book Vampire Hunter D Volume 1 by Hide... I'm going to totally butcher this. Uh, Hideyuki Kikuchi. Um, I'm terrible sometimes with certain Japanese names. Uh, so this was also voiced, uh, voice directed by Toyo Ashida, uh, who has done a, a bunch of other things, including Fist of the North Star, uh, Vitam Machine, Hiro Wataru, Minky Momo, and F-Zero GP Legend, which is pretty funny. Uh, he's also the founder of the Japanese Animation Creators Association with Satoshi Kon. So... And normally I don't give a whole lot of like little things about the info of the film, but I felt like when it came to these two films, I want to talk about it a little more and kind of give you the breadth of what the they may have done past this or may have done before this. Because, you know, when you talk about films over here, you can kind of connect the dots. Um, and a lot of actors go into different things, but um, I thought it was kind of interesting when it comes to anime, for just for some weird reason. So my experience, like I said, as a kid, was watching this on TV. Every time I saw it, if I even saw a glimpse of it, it was like, for some people, you know, they hear Come Sail Away and they gotta sing the whole goddamn song. Every time I saw fucking Vampire Hunter D, Heavy Metal, or Kira on TV, no matter where it was, I had to sit and watch it. So, this was one of those films, I would always break out the TV guide, flip through it, see if it was gonna be on at any point during the week, and made sure that I'd find some time to go sit the cable TV, kick everybody off the TV, unless, of course, you know... I, I was not able to do that, which was more often than not, but actually sit down and watch this, especially if it was on a weekend. If it was on during the day on a Saturday, which was very rare, happened every now and then, then I could sit and watch it. Or if it was late on a Friday night, then I could sit and watch it that Friday night to make sure that, you know, everybody was asleep and then I could sit and watch these. Or if there was a bunch of people over and I was totally disinterested in what people were doing, I could sit there and watch it if it was during that weekend. So, uh... It was something that was mind-blowing to me because I hadn't seen anything that was so graphic in content. And I feel like the original one was toned down compared to what even I remembered it being. Uh, the themes are very, very mature. I never knew, again, this is one of those things where I never knew that animation could be for adults. That there was something outside of your Looney Tunes and your Disney cartoons and your Disney Afternoon and Batman the Animated Series and... Freakazoids and everything like that, even though that's probably well after that this was released when I saw it. But you kind of get my drift. Like, you know, maybe Transformers and He-Man kind of brought me, like, they're not necessarily adult, but, 
they have, you know, they're more fantasy-based, and, you know, Transformers to an extent could attract more different people, but, you know, Robotech was also kind of that introduction to me, but I never thought about it. Like, I compared it to Transformers, but it didn't have a whole lot of adult things, at least that I didn't realize when I was a kid. But this was the first one where I was just, like, entranced, and I really wanted to see more of these types of films. And then you'd have Akira, and then Akira would come on, and you'd be like, oh, holy shit, what the fuck is this? That's even more intense than this is. And that's also why I'm kind of doing this one first versus that one. So, it was something that really just grabbed me. Uh, I think it was the character of D. Um, you know, there's something about him being very soft-spoken. Um, him with his weird hand. Uh, the relationship that those two have together. As well as all the fantastical like monsters and mutants that they created in this. Especially the main minions of Camp uh, Count Lee. Uh, it was something that you quite hadn't seen you know i keep using that phrase but it's totally true for me like i just i hadn't seen anything like this before so without further ado let's go ahead and delve into vampire hunter d so vampire hunter d first starts off with a castle that's slowly fading into existence and we get the following voiceover from the film this story takes place in the distant future when mutants and demons slither through a world of darkness. So supposedly the film takes place in 12,090 AD. And I guess everything's been kind of fucked up about the world. We see a girl and there's a bunch of lightning. It's very dark. And there's this monster in the distance. And it's chewing on something. She gets off her horse. She shoots at it. And she's able to put it down, or so she thinks. She does double tap it, right? So she makes sure that it's dead. But it's truly not dead, and it kills her horse, Luke. Uh, she is almost taken out, but then all of a sudden we see this giant figure in the deep distance. And that happens to be Count Lee, a vampire. And he's here to basically feast on our poor girl Doris here. He opens up his cloak like he's showing off his dick to her. Or maybe he's got a nice set of wares. He's trying to sell on that nice Rolex watch that he's got there. But she's not really interested. So he opens up the other side of the cape. And there's a bunch of like, you know, butt plugs and dildos and shit. But she's like, no, I can't have that either. Because I live alone with my brother just at home. And he's really, really tiny. And he doesn't need to hear that shit. And he's like... No, you're going to be mine anyway. So he opens up the cape wide, flashes himself, bites her on the neck, and then we fade over to the next day where we see D walking up. And we get D's intro song, which is kind of the theme song for the film that you heard at the beginning of the episode. I should also say that while we have, in, in this sequence before we actually meet D is when we get our very first two panty shots of the entire movie, and they all come directly from Doris. I don't really get it. But it seems to be like something that's a big constant in this film. Like I said earlier, I kept a rolling count of all the different shots that happened. And I can't believe that two happened right away within the first, like, five minutes of the movie. It doesn't help that she has a type of outfit that basically is like a skirt. But the skirt only comes up to her right butt cheek. And the other side, it like... the end of her panties kind of come out of there as well. But every time she bends over, any time that she falls back on the ground... Basically, whenever they can get a chance to go ahead and show that, hey, look, she's wearing white panties, they give it a shot. And so right now our count is currently up to two panty shots, and we'll see how many we finish by the end of the film. So we see D rolling up, and he's 
riding on top of this like cyborg type horse and then he's stopped by a girl that's in the middle of the road. Now first I thought that the girl that was in the middle of the road was somebody completely different because the girl that got attacked at the beginning of the movie because it was at night they like colored her hair like bluish green purplish like it was really weird. It was just to, I guess symbolize that it's really dark at night and there's no lights or something out there but it turns out that her and this girl are the exact same person and that's Doris and she's standing in the middle of the road because she's trying to find a vampire hunter to help her and she decides to give Dee a little test to figure out what she's looking for. Now this along with some of the other quotes like Patrick pointed out last episode uh, there are some really long ones in here because uh, I need to do the, the way the spacing in this movie works with audio especially when they're talking is terrible. Like, the editing in this movie is not the best in the world. Um, and I give it a, a, a pass just because it's 1985. Like, and, and it's also the way that the audio has to be done in English. It also affects that at the same time. So there's times where there is some really fast talking and you're going to get some audio in this where it seems like it jumps right away into the next scene because there's no way for me to break it, like, evenly and make it sound like, you know... you. I would rather play you a whole long scene that includes both scenes rather than play you one short scene that's only 10 seconds long and then the other one is immediately after it like I didn't even fucking move the counter. So you're going to get that a lot in this and that's just because of the nature of the beast for this movie. So when it comes to this scene, there are two different parts to it that are mixed into it and you're going to hear a little bit of the action of her testing D even though you're not going to be able to see it. So... Let's see what Doris can find out from D. You're a professional hunter, aren't you? Is there a tongue in your mouth or are you just being rude? Or is that sword just for show? Maybe you'll say something if I take it from you. Try this! Not too bad, but... You're not the hunter I'm looking for, so leave the sword and take your fancy costume. But I had to see what you could do! I need the best hunter I can find! And I need to show you something! This is... It's, it's the kiss of a powerful noble. What's your name? It's Doris Lang. Will you take this job for me? I don't have much money, but... I can feed you three meals a day, and as for the rest, I swear you can do whatever you want with me. When did the noble attack you? Does that mean you'll do it? 
Okay, so there's something that you need to know also right away. Nobles are vampires. It's straight up. I don't know why they call them nobles. It has to do with something in the story. I don't know. Maybe they consider them to be higher class than everybody, especially one person that will show up a little later in this film most definitely thinks that they are the ruling class over the humans in the land. And it's kind of obvious that they... Well, they kind of are, right? Because they can beat the shit out of any of the humans. Only these specific hunters even have a chance of even standing, you know, up to any of them. But at the same time, like, if they go into a little lowly village, these guys are just peasants and food. And in this case, Lee is just fucking horned up on Doris over here. And so he's basically trying to make her his wife. And which, you know not getting ahead of myself here, uh, everything is not necessarily agreed on when it comes to the family. Uh, the other thing that you got kind of here is she does try to whip at D, right? Not whip out a D, but use her whip like she's fucking Simon Belmont or some shit and come down and then it like splits open to, to a bunch and like grabs him on his arms and his legs and the horse is like, hey, let him go. And then he's able to break free from her little electricity whip without actually breaking the whip. So I don't know if it's like it's got weird like laser beams or some type of weird bullshit. But there's always these type of like anime energy weapons that you see when they attach to somebody. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well, I can just break through your energy and it doesn't do anything to the weapon, even though the weapon itself like splits open. So you got a whip that goes into five different directions, but it's okay. It still remains a fucking whip. I don't fucking get it. It's fucking animated logic. I guess I just have to go with it. But he is able to break free from that, and that totally fucking impresses her. It's like, who the fuck are you, Doris? What the fuck have you been doing? If you can do this shit, why aren't you fighting against the fucking vampire? Like, instead of, or sorry, the noble, instead of fucking getting people on the road. So how many people have you beat up and fucking stolen their weapons from? Oh, you're just no good. Well, maybe he's, like, decent, or maybe he's got something special, but just because he can break free of your fucking whip mean that's that, like, everything is okay? It's like, oh yeah, this is definitely the person I want. And then what's your fucking payment to this guy? Oh, uh, lodging, food, and fucking my pussy. Like, <laughs> those are the three things that you get. You get to fuck me, you get to sleep, and you get to eat. Like, honestly, it's not that bad of a deal. But, I mean, he seems like he's relatively, like, noble. Like, not necessarily part of the nobility but he's just kind of like look i see that you've been attacked i see that you're really helpful or, or not necessarily helpful that you need the help i guess i should say uh and okay i'll do it and she's like all right and then she realized oh wait i said she could fuck me uh, like if is that all you've got to offer you must have something else that you could like you maybe you have like land or you have you know gold because you're able to go out and buy stuff because you got a farm uh but instead no this is what you're automatically going to give up which is your body girl that's got to be the last thing that you need to get up like and, and who knows what d is even going to be able to do so he goes and follows her back to her farm and that's where we meet uh dan for the very first time which is probably, to me, one of the most annoying characters in this whole goddamn movie. Hey, wait! I'll do that for you, mister! Oh, wow! Your horse is a DL4 cyborg, huh? I guess you're the kind who doesn't talk a whole lot, right, mister? My friend Dr. Faringo says there are two kinds of quiet men. The kind who stay silent because they're thinking bad things, and the ones who've seen a lot of bad things and don't want to talk about them more than they have to. 
So, I'm guessing that you're more like the second type, right? I mean, you seem okay to me. So, this is another one of those cases where the way that the character acts and the way that the character's mouth moves, that you get these weird kind of, like, hints and accents and stuff. I, I guess they're trying to do, like, kind of a country thing, you know, that she's got, like, or he's got put into this. It's just, it doesn't quite work for me. It never really quite worked for me even back in the day. But he does say something interesting, at least. He's like, well, there's two types of people, you know. The type that have done a bunch of shit and don't want to talk about it. And the type that have seen a bunch of shit and don't want to talk about it. But he didn't think about the third type. The third that don't like fucking kids getting into their fucking business so they don't want to say anything to the goddamn kid. And the kid needs to shut the fuck up. That's what you are, Dan. You need to shut the fuck up and just let D do his fucking job. So, he follows them into town, because I guess she's got to go get some supplies, because what is she going to use to pay for the supplies when she gets in town? Because she can't offer D fucking money, so who knows? Who, who She's like the town slore and just pays for everything with her vagina. Who knows? I doubt that's the way that it goes, but it's just like, again, why would that be your first thing that you'd want to do? Just like, you can have your way with me. I get it. You don't want to be killed by a vampire, I totally understand. I wouldn't want to be killed by a vampire too, or made his fuck toy or whatever's going to happen to you. But at the same time, you're going to give yourself to somebody else and not give yourself to another person who says that he also can help you because you don't like him. And that person happens to be the son of the mayor of the town uh, who sees them all walking into... Can I say something? This town has a lot of fucking crosses. Like, as they walk in, there are crosses on every fucking building, which means they've had problems with vampires before if they think that crosses can fucking solve everything. But it seems like vampires in this world don't have any weaknesses against any of those crosses because if I remember correctly, in the beginning, when she got bit by, you know, Count Lee over here, like... He, she was wearing a fucking cross around her neck. He was fine. So none of these crosses are going to help any of these motherfuckers in the town or anything like that. So the son of the mayor, he goes ahead and approaches Doris over here and basically says, hey, there's a rumor going around that you've been bit in the neck. And she doesn't want to have it all discussed out and open. So she takes him over into the one of the hallways and tries to find out exactly what he wants from her. What do you want? Spare me the Biden tone. I'm not the one they say was nibbled on by the count. Uh, and what does that mean? It means you might want to keep your voice down. Or don't you care if sweet little Danny overhears the truth? Hmm? The thing is, I'm hurt you didn't come to me about this first. After all, I'm not only the mayor's son, but I can hire much better hunters than that saddle tramp you found. That's just what friends do. I'm willing to overlook all our unfortunate past history. And all you have to do is... What the hell is wrong with you? That hurt! And I don't like being hit on either. Look, Doris. I'm just trying to say that I'm worried about you. And that I'm here in your time of need. If you think you can buy my gratitude that easily, think again. I've seen far too many decent people suffer because of the actions of you and your cronies. <laughs> you're so adorable when you're being self-righteous, I can't stand it. Now, how about you shut up and- <laughs> oh, You little trollop! No one does that to me! <laughs> oh, oh, damn! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, boss, you okay? Everyone, oh, listen up! Doris Lang was attacked by the Count! She's been infected with vampirism! It's true. That's why she had that hunter! So he tells the whole town, including Dan, that she's been infected by the Count. Should also mention that before this happens and during the fight with D, we had panty shots three and four, and now we're about to come on panty shot number five. And we're about, uh, I don't know, about 13 minutes into the goddamn movie. Oh, so many goddamn panty shots. Anyway, so she's all like now like embarrassed slash scared. I don't know, the way that they, they drew the character is kind of like shocked, more or less. I guess that's the best way. And Dan doesn't want to believe that she's been infected. So they all go over to the mayor's house, and she explains to everybody that, yes, she has been affected. And there's one actually little line in that dialogue beforehand that happened between her and Greco here that I really love. And that's when she slaps him across the face. He's like, you hit me. And she's like, well, I don't like getting hit on either. I fucking love that line. I don't know why it makes me laugh when I hear it, too. But I think that it's so well-timed, and especially in the situation that's going in. But Greco is just truly a bitch because he wants to have her to himself. Like, he wants some of that sweet, sweet vagina because she's using it to buy everything else in the town but hook up with him. And so this is the way that he's like, look, I can hire the best fucking vampire hunters. And then the offer that you gave D, I can give you my D instead. You know, because he's no good. I'm the best around. And of course, she rejects him because he's a fucking douchebag. Why does she need to go with a guy just because he believes, like, oh, I'm the shit because I'm the son of the mayor? Fuck you, Greco. Go fucking die off a cliff or some shit like that later on in the movie. So they all decide to get together inside the mayor's house to discuss what to do with her because now that she's been infected, she's probably going to be a risk to the town. And Greco, he's still a fucking douchebag. So, you're a vampire hunter, are you? That's right. My god, Doris. Are you? <laughs> Say something, sis. Hmm, yep. It's just as I said, isn't it, Daddy? No way! She's fine and you're just spreading lies because she turned you down! What'd you say, you little brat? Why, I ought to kick your- Greco! But, Pa, that kid just called me a stinking liar! You're a fool who's interrupting important business. Wait outside. <sighs> and as for you, Miss Lang, you know the rules. Anyone who's been bitten must go to the camp. Sheriff? No, you can't do this! You can't take my sister! Please think about this, Sheriff. That camp isn't fit for human habitation. It's worse than a pigsty. As the town doctor, I can't condone sending this girl to live in a wreck that hasn't been used for 50 years. That may be, but the law is the law. And does the law remember the nightmare this town lived through 50 years ago, the last time that camp was used? Exactly what happened 50 years ago? There was a girl, Sheriff. A girl who was attacked like Doris. We locked her in the camp for our own protection, not hers. And that so infuriated the Count that he brutally murdered 30 villagers in retribution. And what happened to the girl, Doctor? She went completely mad and died in the camp. The wisest move would be to let the girl stay free until I fulfilled my contract. <sighs> Those are brave words, stranger. But what if you fail? The Count's not the only vampire up there. If it comes down to that, I swear that I'll take my own life. No, sis. So exactly how many vampires are up on the hill? 
besides the fucking Count. Well, we know that there's one because, well, I've already talked about her. But there could be more. Who knows? But D is ready to take them all down if he can. So we have this douchebag of a son that gets all butthurt when Dan fucking calls him out, being like, look, you're only saying this shit because she won't sleep with you, which honestly is true, but he's also telling the truth that he knows that she's fucking infected, and she should have made that fucking clear, and you can't really just hide the thing by all of a sudden you're wearing a choker and you've never worn a fucking choker before. Like, we've seen you around the town, and we've never worn that shit around your neck, then all of a sudden you're wearing it? Oh, something must be up. Oh, I've heard rumors that... And where did the rumors start that you got bit by a fucking vampire? Like, are there fucking videos around the corner? Like, are you surveying her house, watching her at night, making sure you see those panty shots in the field what are you doing are you like totally creeping out while she's out there and then you just happen to see the vampire show up offering his fucking dildo and anal bead collection and then fucking decide that he's gonna bite her anyway were you the one that was video recording it all the way in the back and that's how we fucking saw it i don't fucking know but somehow you fucking know so she goes back into town with the doctor and they go try to get supplies and everybody's all freaked out because she's been bitten by the vampire and they're worried that something's going to happen to them when obviously it's only going to happen to fucking her. She's the only one that's been bitten by the vampire, but I guess there is some type of mass hysteria that's going to be going out there because, you know, you don't want to be the next one bit or is she going to be turned to like a vampire wife and she's going to start going out there and starting to try like make more vampire people. I don't fucking know how it works in this world. All I know is that she's going to become nobility and the rest of the town folks, they're going to be fucking like, you know, fed on by vampires. So fuck y'all run away. So they all got upset when she goes into a store and the store owner says, well, I can't have your type around here. And she's like, what the fuck is my type? You know, the type that got bit by vampires. It's bad for business. And what totally makes me laugh is he tells her, oh, we ain't got no stock, but everything's fucking filled all over there. And the doctor's like, like, you perfectly know that you have stock. Like, look at all this shit. Every fucking where in this place. There is stock everywhere. So, he, they leave and we see outside that D is talking to Dan because Dan is busy crying and D really lays in it and tells Dan that he needs to nut the fuck up. It's only going to get harder going forward. And it's alright to scream or cry. How you choose to deal with it is up to you. But promise me one thing, Dan. If you're going to cry, don't do it around your sister. Hold it in. Tears are contagious, and right now she needs your hope and encouragement. Smile, even if it hurts. That's what being a man means. And it was at this point I started to think, doesn't D sound a lot like Liam Neeson? Like, seriously, sounds like Liam Neeson, like Taken Days Liam Neeson. Don't go out there. Uh, you've been taken. Uh, whatever the fuck Liam Neeson sounds like. That's the worst fucking Liam Neeson fucking accent I've ever fucking done. So from here, we go back over to Doris's house, and we see that Dee is kind of lounging around, but he's starting to look at all the stuff that she's got hanging on the wall. And one thing happens to be this sword, so he takes it out, and we start hearing this voice from just somewhere in the room. We don't know exactly where it's coming from. And it's interrupted by Doris coming in and explaining a little bit about her father and where the sword came from and how she knew to find Dee for what he was, and Dee actually talking about the nobility. 
<laughs> Feeling moody today, are we? You're not acting like yourself. Protecting this girl, counseling her brother, and offering advice. It's almost as though you have a heart. Don't tell me that you've fallen in love. That's enough, old fool. Of course she did offer you her body, didn't she? Not that you'd be interested in that. The only bodies that you're interested in are dead nobles stacked up like cordwood. Poor Dee, fated to live a life drenched in blood and carnage. Are you jealous for the warmth of a real human being? Thank you for your help this afternoon. I know you talked to Dan. He's been trying hard to keep my spirits up. My father was a hunter too. Werewolf, not vampire. That's how I knew what kind of skills to look for. If you should ever have to fight against the nobility, he said, you need a hunter who specializes in them. No one else stands a chance. So what can you tell me about the nobles? Tomorrow is the woman's moon. Woman's moon? You mean the red moon that appears once a month? Yes. The nobles consider blood taken under that moon impure, unfit to drink, which means that if someone comes for you, it will be tonight. <laughs> so who is this noble I seek? Count Magnus Lee. It's said that he ruled this land long before our village was established. However, years ago he disappeared, and most thought him gone forever. But then the light reappeared in his castle two years ago, and we knew he had returned. Some say he's 5,000 or even 10,000 years old. In either case, he's incredibly old and powerful. 10,000 years. A vampire that old will be formidable. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, 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 okay. Did, did we all just hear that right? The woman's moon is happens once a month, every 30 days, and the vampires won't drink the blood of the women because it's impure at that time. So vampires in this world and the nobility in this world won't drink off a woman when she's on her period. That's exactly what I'm hearing. Like, at that point that you can't maybe conceive anymore, maybe that's what we're trying to go for. But the fact that they straight out said that women are... <laughs> the blood is impure when the blood moon <laughs> that happens once a month <laughs> pops up that's when we can't drink the blood of the woman what and then this hand right oh, well it's the hand that's talking i'm sorry i'm spoiling that a little bit early but if you've seen this movie you know uh it's like fucking jabbing into d here like what the hell he's like oh you can't have sex with a woman why has he got like a tiny dick or something like that is this like micropenis that he's worried about the fact that he is what he is doesn't give him one or is he like a ken doll and he's got absolutely nothing down there like do vampires just not have it but then how do vampires have offspring like it doesn't make any sense if there are like vampire daughters and vampire sons how do they exist if the fucking vampires can't fucking get anybody pregnant or does it take, like, two vampires? Or I, I don't fucking know what's going on with this world. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Period. So he's fucking, like, just jabbing him. Like, oh, there's only one type of body that you'll like. And that's dead bodies that you've totally killed. Uh-huh. Not that sweet, sweet vagina that's over there. Don't you want to know what that feels like? I know you've been a virgin for a very long time. And in fact, he probably has been a virgin for a really long time. I mean, like, the 40-year-old virgin, like... D's got nothing, or he has nothing on D, right? Because D, he's 
well, we'll we'll learn more about that later as well. I don't want to give that up, but it's just so terrible that it, this is what he's focusing on. Like, you can never have the touch of a woman. You can never do this. You can never do that. And uh, man, aren't you upset? And aren't you jealous that all these other guys they can get their put-ins, but you can't get any at all? So. All of a sudden, there's rustling outside, and we learn that the nobility themselves, they don't attack and and capture their prey, especially on this moon. They want to make sure that they grab them during this time, because like he said, they won't drink the blood. So they send mutants, werewolves, and the like to go after the girls and make sure that they're the ones that take them home and get them prepared for the next day, basically the day after the moon, where the blood, I guess, is now the sweetest because they flushed everything out of their system. And this is where we meet Ray and Lamika for the very first time, because D goes outside and he slaughters all the werewolves and mutants that are coming their way, except for these two, which are one of the higher-ranking minions of the army and the daughter of Count Magnus Lee. She's hired a bodyguard, has she? <laughs> exactly the sort of thing one would expect from a lowly human. <laughs> Where is the Count? I've been told a girl resides here whose beauty is unrivaled in this land, one whose blood is like the sweetest ambrosia. Or so my father says. Leastway, he sent me to fetch his newest plaything. But first, in so much as she's failed to deliver herself to his table, the lowly human must be punished. As for you, you shall die a horrible death, and then the girl will be dealt with at our leisure. <laughs> <laughs> I am Ray Kinsey, and my master commands me to slaughter all fools such as you. Now you die. So Ray and Dee get into a fight, and Dee is able to actually handily beat Ray. And Lamika here, as you can tell, she's very prejudiced up against both vampires and what we learned are dampires or dampiers which are half-vampire, half-human hybrids. So, Ray and Dee fight, and Ray's got some interesting, like, ways of controlling his weapon. Like, he's got this, like, two-sided blade that's more like a boomerang, so maybe he's from down under, and he's able to, like, fling it out there, but, you know, Dee's able to block it and send it right back at him, and when Dee basically upstages him and goes for the killing blow... Uh, Ray is able to actually turn it on him, and it stabs D right in the stomach. Interesting. I've heard rumors about a mutant who can warp the fabric of time and space. Would that be you? <laughs> that it would. And now I shall take your head. <laughs> That's impossible. Ah, I see. He's a dampier. <sighs> Ray, I shall handle this. But I was about to... I said fall back! <sighs> if that is your wish, noble mistress. So, a dampier? I've never seen one before. No doubt the bastard offspring of some noble's human dalliance. A more vexing problem than mere humans. My business is with your master and not you, girl. I prefer not to kill you. <laughs> How dare you! As if some lowly dampier could defeat me! <laughs> 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 
Go back to your master and tell him this. You are but transient guests on this planet, fated to return to the darkness. Did he just say transient guests? Yeah, he did just say transient guests, Lamika. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with that character. I still don't know how to feel about her, even up to this day, because I think that she's very important to the story. At the same time, I think she's completely fucking useless. Like, there are situations like this, where she's here... The, what she progresses and how she grows as a character, I think is relatively good, but... Like, how she ends up, I think is terrible. For her to go through all of this, to all of a sudden get to that point, is fucking stupid. But here, it's just like, it's not just the character, it's the voice actress, too. Like, I just don't know if I agree with what her choice was for the character. Like, I feel that it, the character talks really fast. And this could be because of the way the dubbing for it works. And the fact that her lips are so small that they're trying to fit as much as possible with the translated script within the time. Because sometimes it really feels like she could say a little bit less, but she says a whole fucking paragraph in two fucking seconds. You know? Oh, I believe that blah, blah, And it's like, okay, what what the fuck? Did you really... Oh, I hate the fucking debios. Like, what... Come on, I, I'm not a very fast talker in general, but it's just so fucking ridiculous that it gets to that point with this film, or at least with this character, that it, it's it's a, not a bad character, Well, but at the same time, you're just like, I not, don't like what you do. So he's able to single-handedly beat both of them, and he regenerates in front of them. He gets stabbed pretty well, and when Ray goes for that fatal blow, that's when they discover that he's a Dampir, which, again, is the hybrid of a vampire and a human. And so that's what makes D relatively special. So she hates both of these, like, both humans and that, because it taints the whole line of every noble vampire that's out there because a vampire decides that either he's fallen in love with a human or he needs to get his rocks off like her dad does and then ends up having an offspring at the same time because I guess he's still fucking potent. I, I don't know. Again, I don't fucking get it. So they run away with her tail between their legs and that's where we go back and we see Count Lee sitting on his throne and he speaks for the first time. Now, I don't know if there were sounds that were put into this to make it seem like he was talking to somebody because there are a lot of soliloquies when it comes to Japanese anime where bad guys are kind of talking to themselves. But it could possibly that he's talking to the mist in front of him, which is like a messenger, when he finds out that his daughter has failed. We also see a little bit of Lamika here, and she's looking at a picture of Count Dracula, who is supposedly the creator of all nobility, on the wall, and she's trying to get advice from her ancestor of what she should do, and Rey, who so wants to become a part of the nobility, she, like, basically shoots down at the same time. Has my daughter returned yet? No, the fools acted without begging my leave. But I'll deal with them later. A dump here, you say? One so formidable that Lamaker and Ray had to retreat. How very unexpected. <laughs> and intriguing. Something to anticipate after so long. <laughs> oh, Count Dracula. Our most sacred ancestor. Save my father from his folly. Convince him that this plan to bring a lowly human into the fold of our family can only end in pain and disaster. I cannot allow him to foolishly taint our noble blood. Please, Dracula, help me. 
Lady Larmica, you should return to your room now. I don't recall giving you leave to speak, you mutant worm. That may be, but I was just admonished by the Count for our failure to fulfill his orders. And it is he, not I, who commands you to your room, mistress. Did I say that you could touch me, you wretch? I know you seek to ingratiate yourself with my father, to become part of our noble family. But you remain blind to the truth of your own lowly lineage. As if we would allow one of such debased blood to become part of this family! <laughs> okay, she's one fucking rude fucking bitch. And it's times of this movie where that's where I really like her, where she's really smug, and she basically laughs off poor Ray, you know, his thoughts like, oh, well, he's been serving this family forever, and, you know, it's about time that he becomes one of them, and she's just like, you're never gonna get it. Don't you realize it's never gonna happen? She's a fucking, you know, whatever their fucking name is song, never gonna get it, never gonna get it, never gonna get it, never gonna get it. You know, whoever that fucking group was, probably in vogue. Is who it was. So from here we fade over to the next day. And we see that D is ready to go on a huge assault against Count Lee's castle. And so he leaps off the side of thing. Rides through the landscape and everything like that. And arrives at the castle. Uses some little like pebble type thing to like light the way in. And then but slowly but surely sees the other like major minions of the castle. We see them kind of one by one. We also see a lot of the little under, like, monsters and mutants that are underneath the castle through the catacombs that are there. And he's able to get by them with a little pebble glowing thing that basically is like a giant bright light that wards them all off. Until he's faced with a ghost jaguar. And <laughs> he uh, fights it off, but he can't quite stop it. So he figures out that there must be something controlling it. So he punches right through the wall, and that's where we see Ray and some other old lady... Uh, one of the other minions of the castle there, and she's surprised that he was able to actually defeat the the Jaguar, uh, and that the fact that he must be a very strong uh, dampier in comparison to the other people that she's seen before. Ray really wishes that he could have his one-on-one -on -one battle to get revenge on the fact that he lost earlier and actually settle the score, but Count Lee has told him that there are other plans for him. So he throws out his weapon, slashing the floor, and it's weird because, like, Dee's cape acts on its own like he's starting to fall through the floor and then he doesn't reach out a hand or anything like that like he throws like an arm and then the cape reaches up and grabs the ledge and ray is able to knock the will break the piece of the ledge the cape's holding on to and drop him below the hand again talks to him and tells him that this place looks like it was involved in the war that happened 10,000 years ago as there's a lot of skeletons and other you know debris kind of left everywhere as D tries to find some way out of the dungeon of this castle. He ends up inside of a room where he sees three women sitting in the water, basically nude as the day they were born, all playing violins, and it turns out that those guys aren't the people that they seem to be. Who are you, sir? Who are you, sir? Why don't you answer? Why don't you answer? Who are you three? Who are we three? Who are we three? <gasps> this is what we are! So you're Lamia. <laughs> Glamour. 
are the infamous midwitch Medusa. Sister, it's been so long. Shall we savor his taste slowly? Yes, let us sap his life essence to the marrow of his bones. Now, there's one thing that I noticed, and it's really kind of weird that I would think about this, but everybody's nipples in this movie are really fucking tiny. Like, they're so tiny, they look like innies. Like, seriously, I know I'm not supposed to be like, oh, hey, check out those nipples over here. But, like, the Lamia, when you see them, they almost look like they're, like, little green dots. They're so, so small. There's, like, no areola, and it's just the nipple there. And they barely have any boobs, as it is. Like, those sirens would totally not, like, entice me to come over. They'd be like, hey, let's go party. Let's get high. Let's go ahead and have some fun over here. And be like, no, you're boobs don't look right and they'd be like what what do you mean these are boobs they're great yeah boobs are great but i don't know about those innies that you've got over there they just don't quite work for me i'm going then they would turn to the weird snake things and try to like capture me like the capture d so they basically wrap them up with their hair like it goes underneath the water grabs around his legs and then lifts them up and then they all completely surround him and they begin feeding off his life source now it's really funny because when you look at the ladies when it cuts back to them a couple times it looks like their deer just fucking high out of their minds like just absorbing it or like totally in lust like loving this so much that they're able to suckle on this nubile young like dampier or who knows how old d actually is so we from here we cut on back over to the farm and we see that uh doris she is totally like lamenting the fact that d's gone and the doctor he's basically coming to like watch over her and they're kind of having a conversation and he realizes that maybe she has something for d have courage, child. He's certain to be back soon. That man's forged more from steel than flesh, and I doubt he'll be beaten so easily. Say, you're not falling for him, are you? <laughs> oh my God, you are. Trust me, Doris, he's not the kind of man you think he is. I'm not saying that he's an evil man, but he has dangerous eyes. Dangerous eyes? Yes, the eyes of a warrior, a man who lives on the razor's edge between life and death. When the violence has ended, he'll be gone. They're here! So that's when Ray, along with the other minions, uh, Gimlet, Golem, and Chula, all attack. Now, I don't know which one's which. I assume that Golem is the giant one that comes in and busts through the window. Which, of course, throws Doris back and we get Panty Shop number six. Uh... I think Chula might be the one that comes out of his mouth with all the spiders that attack the good doctor, and he kind of like fades out. We don't know if he dies or what exactly happens to him. And then you've got Gimlet, and Gimlet might also be him, but there's this weird like bird-type flying guy, and they never really say his name. It's somewhere in the credits that you say this, and as well as within like all the little FAQs and everything about the movie. So I don't know which, like... <laughs> How to differentiate the between the three but i assume that golem because he kind of looks like a golem and he's really big that one i would say is the big tall guy out of all of them so so because of this invasion ray is able to capture doris and take her back over to count lee when he actually brings her into the throne room lee and her kind of have an exchange of words explaining what he intends to do with her and the fact that d is not going to be able to come and save her <laughs> Oh, sweet Doris. 
Come tomorrow, you shall be both nobility and my bride. Why resist the inevitable? I'd rather die, but I won't be held a prisoner in this castle for long. I'll be gone by morning light. <laughs> How droll. But those impertinent lips will soon be mine. Therefore, I will forgive such impudence just this once. But Doris, if you think your hunter will come to save you, you might want to reconsider. <laughs> Behold your hero. As you can see, the sisters are draining him of his vital essence. Ah, look at the sweet ecstasy on their faces. They've been in the throes of pleasure for half the day. A normal man would have perished in minutes, but then he is a dampier. What? Dee is a... He's a dampier? Oh my, you didn't know? Yes, the baseborn result of a liaison between human and noble. These things do happen. Surprised? Or could it be you? Find this more arousing than expected. No! Stop it, you monster! Ah, yes. You should retire to your bedchamber, shouldn't you? <laughs> sleep. Sleep for the remainder of this cursed sanguine moon. For tomorrow we will wed. Yes, make sure you sleep it off until you're done with your period so that you'll taste much, much better than you would if you were on it. And then, for the matter of fact, he does kind of point out and calls her out on the fact that, oh my god, He's part vampire? And, like, she seems kind of excited at that thought. Like, he's kind of ribbing her, like, Oh, are your panties moist? Is that what's going on with this one? Uh, now that you've heard this... And it kind of sucks, because this is the way it's got to be broken to her, right? It's not like Dee was able to tell her, Look, hey, the reason that we really can't do anything together is because I'm part vampire and, you know, part human, and I don't want to, like, spread this around. So I've set myself on a life of celibacy, even though you're pretty damn hot, and I hope to see you naked one day. Like, we'll figure this out. Like, really, you could easily figure it out, D. You could give her the D, okay? But it's just kind of an interesting, like, thought between, like, he's like, it's, there's really nothing wrong with it, and there's no difference between the two. Like, yeah, it's so every once in a while, vampires want to get it on with humans, and every once in a while, we produce offspring, and this is the way that we keep going. So it kind of, I wish we had more information within the movie about Dampiers, or at least something, and I bet you it's within the lore of the book, we're just kind of going to have to go with it and, you know, learn more about it by research and everything outside of the movie, but, like, I want to know a couple things that I feel like everybody wants to know, so, like, what do they have down there? Why can't he, like, perform or do anything? Like, he's got vampire tendencies that we'll see in just a moment, as well as later on in the film. You know, can they live a normal life? How long do they live? Um, what would happen if, you know, do they have the same weaknesses that vampires do? Like, does is he weak to, like, garlic and holy water and crosses? Or it's like, no, the human half takes care of that, even though those don't really work well in this world. So there are things I really want to know, but the biggest one, of course, is why can't he be with a woman? Like, they never say anything about that throughout the whole movie, and I wish that, that was explained a little more. So while he's showing the stuff with the Lamia down below, they're still getting off in ecstasy, and Dee decides to use his vampiric powers to bite right into the necks of the Lamia, and then ultimately kill all of them. 
He then gets in a little bit of an argument with the hand about actually using the powers. And then we cut over and we see that Lamaka, she's basically about to kill Doris where he steps into the room. You can't fight your lineage, can you? Deny it all you want. But when push comes to shove, the fangs are coming out. That's enough. Someone's feeling grumpy. Too bad. It's still your destiny. I wonder, do I really need two hands? Fine. My lips are sealed. What is it? What is it about her that my father cannot resist? But I will not allow it. You will never join the Lee bloodline, you human bitch. So before she does decide to kill the human bitch, D comes in and is able to stop Lamaka. He doesn't try to kill her, which kind of surprised her, and we learn a little later on in the movie that really he's only going after his main hunt, which happens to be Magnus Lee. So he grabs Doris, and he rushes out of there, and at that point we get panty shot number seven. Uh, and as he's running out, he's just slaying fools. He's killing all the monsters in the hallways. He kills the cat lady, the one that produces the cat ghost. Uh, as he goes outside, the giant golem guy is trying to stop him, and he cuts the lines, bringing the bridge down. When he goes to do it, there's panty shot number eight. Uh, and it comes down and crushes the golem guy's arm, and then he's holding a bomb in his left arm, or left hand, I should say, and when it hits the ground, it blows up and takes over half the size of his body. Like, it's just completely exploded off, and there's blood and guts just going everywhere. And this is when I realized that this movie is a lot gorier than I remembered. Like, even back in the day, like, I'm like, wow, this is... Like, I saw a list of the goriest 80s anime movies, and this was on there. And I was like, that's no way. It can't be that bad. But when they cut people open, you see organs, you see brain matter, you see everything. And especially when they get blown apart, you see a lot more than you need to see. So, now that the drawbridge is down and he's escaped, he manages to kill the golem by shoving his sword through his head with Ray looking on in the distance and the other, like, weird bird guy flying after him. There's another panty shot there, which I believe leads us to panty shot number nine. Uh, and D runs away and goes back to the farm with Doris. Uh, Ray, he throws his weapon thinking that he's caught something and that he's caught D, but ultimately he's the one that's killed the Birdman, and he knows that he needs now go out and actually kill D, or else he's going to be killed by Count Lee. We now see Doris, she's laying in her bed, and she's having weird dreams and images about seeing Dee being captured by the Snake Woman, not realizing that she's been rescued by Dee. She keeps writhing back and forth, and eventually is woken by Dan, who proceeds to tell her, Doris! Dan, where's Dee? Oh, he said that he was gonna go outside and try to fix the damage to the wall. Man, that guy is sure awesome. First he rescues you from that horrible place all by himself, and when he gets back, does he take a break? No way! He just gets right to doing what needs doing. It's like he doesn't even need to rest. So she realizes that that part of that power is because he's a damn peer, and Danny doesn't know anything about what the, was going on with Dee and with her. I mean, he knows now a lot what's going in there, and that the fact that D is here to save her, but he doesn't know that she's lusting after D, and that D is part vampire, and that she's been reading way too much Twilight fanfiction. 
So from here, we go back into town and we see that there's a commotion at the inn. There's a stage carriage that's one of the nobles' carriages, and Greco, who's busy parting out with the ladies and trying to get him some for that night, says that he's got to let them go because he needs to figure out what's going on. There's a secret room inside of the inn, and we see that Ray is meeting with one of the emissaries from Count Lee. There's a hidden room inside of it that allows Greco to listen on the whole conversation that they're having, and he finds out that uh, Ray is being given something very special that he can use to fight against D. Slow down, Pops. It's one of the nobility servants! Yeah, I know. Hold still. I need the key to the secret spiral. I bring a message on behalf of the Count. Do you now? And would that message involve killing me? No, that would be a fool's errand. One such as I could never defeat you. The price for failure is death. I doubt that the Count will change the rules of his castle just to accommodate me. <laughs> Killing that man will be difficult. So the Count has sent you this. <gasps> no, it can't be. Is that what I think it is? Yes, the time-bewitching incense. Time-bewitching what? Incense, you stupid motherfucker. Didn't you just fucking hear him? Come on, it's not that hard. You got a recording device right there. And he says, you know, witch-burning incense. And he's like, witch-burning wood? Like, it's a fucking candle that you light up and it fucking has, like, light and shit. Like, it gives your own Disney light show you've got going on. Maybe every once in a while, Jack Skellington pops out of it and can slay a motherfucker or something like that. So, he basically... Greco keeps watching on as the conversation continues and we go over to back to the farm where Dan is now shooting at and he's actually a pretty good shot but at the other monsters that are slowly coming and attacking the farm it's the same monster that you see at the beginning that's like the flesh-eating monster this cloud that comes in and then eats things whole uh so he's shooting things away and then all of a sudden we see that he has been kidnapped by Ray because Ray is trying to draw out D and he's left a note that only D can read your brother has been taken. That's Dan's gun. I don't understand. I'm the one the nobility wants. Why would they take my brother? Just what does that letter say? Let me see. Is this some kind of code? Yes. It's written in a language understood only by hunters and professional assassins. It says that in order to save Dan, I must come alone. They're obviously attempting to separate us. I don't understand. If they have Dan, why not just order me to come? It would seem the being who wrote this has a personal score to settle as well. And beyond that, the nobility would consider it beneath their honor to use the boy as bait to lure you into their trap. Beneath their honor? As if their kind has honor to begin with! They're blood-sucking monsters! Um... Present company accepted. There's no reason to make exceptions. To be born a Dampier is to be a monster. The blood running in my veins is that of the hated nobility. But it's not the same. I know that you only hide your true nature to keep others from worrying unnecessarily. And I wish I hadn't learned the way I did. And because she really wants to jump your bones and... This is making it really awkward when she starts talking shit about your lineage. And then all of a sudden, bam, she gets shot down because... She talks shit about vampires and you're half vampire. So according to the note, Ray has kidnapped Dan and he must come alone if he wants to rescue him. Dee of course knows that this is probably a trap, but he's gonna go and rescue Dan anyway because he feels like he can handle Ray this time. So he leaves 
Poor Doris alone by herself at the farm, but she's got the barriers to protect her. So he does go out there, reaches Ray, and Ray tries to use the candle against Dee, but it turns out the candle is a fake, and he doesn't know why it doesn't, it's not working. So they ensue in a fight, and Dee ultimately wins by cutting off his left arm. We cut back really fast over to the farm, and we see that Doris is now being approached by the good doctor, who seems a little odd. Please, come home safely, please. If you die- Doris, it's me! <gasps> Dr. Faringo! Doctor! The barrier's still up! Let me in! Hold on, I'm coming! Thank God you're here! I've been with oh. a sick patient in the village. I'm sorry for the nightmare that you've endured and for taking so long. But I've thought of a place where we can be safe. Okay, what's really weird is last time we saw Dr. Faringo, he was basically being covered by a ton of spiders by one of the minions. So I assumed that he was already dead. Like, I don't know how he popped up back into the film, and now I feel like something is completely wrong. So, we see them go off into the mountains, we cut back over for a quick scene, and we see that Ray is really pissed off that the candle didn't work, and the fact that Diaz cut off his arm. Dan basically tells him that he serves you right for what you did, and D just leaves him there to die. Or, to escape, whatever. He has no quarrels with him, he's got D and he'll take him back over to the doors. We then cut over, we see that Doris is in a wagon with Faringo, and they're traveling through the mountainscape, going to a place where Doris believes that, you know, it's safe from all the vampires, and she'll be able to hide herself away. But things definitely aren't quite as they seem. Are you sure this place really exists, Doctor? Yes, I first discovered it when I was returning from Old Man Harker's place via the Northern Forest. And then there it was. An ancient stone building with some kind of mysterious writing on its walls. A safe house. Something in that old structure repels the vampires. We'll wait there until your brother's rescued. <gasps> One of the female nobles! Whoa! Whoa! Doris, turn this cart around! There's no room, but I can handle this one! Oh, no you don't! <laughs> doctor, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I was the doctor, my dear. But I've changed. Yeah. No, no! No! Not you too! No. <laughs> what brings you out here, my lady? Um, the Count has ordered me to take this one to the castle. Bring her to me. Oh, yes, mistress. How strange. Until yesterday, this girl was like my own granddaughter. But seeing her now, I realize that I was a fool for not violating this beautiful body. <laughs> Do you suppose the Count will let me have a taste before he claims her and sucks her sweet husk dry? You annoy me. <laughs> Here you care about? I'd rather die than become Count Lee's bride. Just kill me now. This is all my father's doing. Fine. I don't care where you go as long as that old fool can't find you. 
So there's a couple things going on in this scene that you kind of have to see to believe. Well, one, okay, and it took me at least three or four different viewings to be like, wait, how did this happen? So the first thing is, is that the voice change for the doctor, Jesus Christ, that's really laughable. Like, it's terrible, especially when he changes over. And you see that it's a vampire. And does, okay, does turning into a vampire automatically make you a goddamn perv? Like, he's like, before, when I was, you know, oh God, no, it's the darkness. Uh, but when, when I was a regular, normal man, I didn't care about the way she looked and that she was so beautiful. But now that I'm a vampire, oh, I gotta have some of that teenage titty. Like, it totally goes into this mode and he reaches for her like, She's about to whip the poor, poor, uh, you know, uh, Lamica to, like, stop her from doing whatever she's doing. And instead of doing that, like, he grabs the whip and then he grabs it and jumps off. But then there's another where he grabs at something else. And what it looks like, he's, he, like, rips out her titty. Like, he whips the titty out. Like, I just gotta make sure that I see your titty before I go over and talk to Lamica. And what I realized is that he ripped off the cross off of her neck really fast which happened to whip out the titty at the same time because he can't control himself and he still has to see the goddamn titty. So there again, we see another small fucking nipple in a random boob that's just popped out. And it's not as proportional as what it is. It actually looks more like she's flat-chested and just has a fucking innie on her chest. Not that I should be focusing on that, but that's what went through my fucking mind. So she is totally distraught, and you hear that Count, or not Count Lee, <laughs> Dr. Ferengo, uh, he is killed by Lamaka because he's just annoying her, and he really wants to get a taste of it, and for some reason, there's this, like, lust after human women whenever you become a vampire. So he goes flying off the mountain to his death after being stabbed in the chest by Lamaka, and Lamaka is about to kill poor Doris here, but then she realizes that she doesn't really need to, she just needs to let her go and have her hide somewhere. And that's where douchebag Greco comes around the corner, and he's brandishing the incense that was there earlier. See, he swapped it with what Ray had, so he's actually the one that basically got Ray's arm cut off. So he's using it. Lamaka is in pain because she's being affected by it because she's not powerful enough to withstand it. And so before he's able to kill her or capture her because he thinks he can have a very big bargaining chip directly with the daughter of Count Lee, but instead of being able to use her as bargaining tool, uh, he's shot in the shoulder and the candle is dropped and he flies off the mountain in the same direction that Dr. Ferengo went. So that happens to be Dan that is able to take the shot and actually put Greco down. And D takes everybody off the hill. When they finally get down to the bottom of the hill and she's kind of looking around and realizing that her life has been saved by the Dampier and the humans, she's really upset. But of course, she doesn't understand why D is not going to kill her. You're not going to kill me? I don't be stupid. Only yellow-bellied rats kill girls. <laughs> I know that this seems strange to you. But D isn't like the men you've known. It's not in his nature to kill for no reason. You expect me to react like a lowly human, but I'm not. Love and emotions do not exist in our world. The only law is the survival of the fittest, the strong rule, while the weak, like you humans, serve. So many vampires believe that, and yet your sacred ancestor taught otherwise. <laughs> our sacred... Ancestor? 
So there's a little bit more backstory for D here. It's still really vague, but he has some connection to her ancestor, which happens to be, of course, Dracula. So we go back over to Doris's place, and we see that Dan has gone to sleep, and then we get the random what-the-fuck shower scene. Like, this just comes out of nowhere. Like, we see it, it pans up on her from the backside, she's in the shower, you see an image of Dr. Ferengo as a fucking vampire, and she's still thinking. Then it flips over to the front side, and we get a whole full frontal shot, except for, you know, from the waist on up. Uh, and it's like, why? Why do we have this random scene of nudity here? And this is one of those scenes that, like, as a kid, I never knew existed. All I knew is the next part that happens because she's clothed when she comes out of the bathroom and she starts asking for D, well, for the D from D. Uh, but this shower scene, like, it, it's so short and so not needed, but it shows that she's, like, falling for him. Like, she's thinking about it, and she's thinking about what fucking Ferengo said, I guess, about, like, oh, she's so lusty and everything now, and he should have had a taste, and maybe Count Lee will let me fuck her before he has her and he fucks her, or maybe afterwards I'll be able to get a little bit of a taste of that sweet, sweet Doris badge, which, of course, maybe everybody in the town has had a piece of, but nonetheless... It's it's just such a weird thing to like randomly put the shower scene in the middle of the goddamn movie. So she gets out of the shower, and that's where she goes looking for D. Well, looking for D's D. And she panics a little because she doesn't find him. And then when she does try to approach him and show the feelings towards him, he kind of goes through a really weird transformation. Just listen to the thing. D, the shower... D? D? D. Is something wrong? I was afraid you'd left. After everything that's happened, I thought you might be... Well, I said some pretty terrible things, and I'm so sorry. No, it's all right, Doris. I'm used to it. The thing is, I keep thinking about what happened to my father. Even though he was a werewolf hunter, in the end he was forced to fight vampires. Nobody can fight forever, and I was thinking that you and I could go someplace and... That's not possible. But... I would only bring you pain and suffering. But that's not true at all. And I... I don't want you to die, Dee! Enough. No, I just want to be close to you just this once. So he pushes her away and explains that he can't, but he doesn't really explain exactly why he can't. I know I just said explain twice, and that's very odd, but he really just says, you know, I can't do this. But maybe it's because of the vampire tendencies he has that he can't get close to anybody, because it really sounds like he's fucking jerking off just when you listen to the clip, because... 
but really he's fighting back those vampiric urges. So when he starts getting close to the, like, I guess a woman, all of a sudden he starts like, he's looking down at her neck and he's noticing, like, if it were me, I would be trying to see down the shirt and everything like that, looking to the back, because I think you got a nice ass view there. And she actually does have a nice ass based upon the shower scene that happened earlier. Uh, and so, like, she's just like, go ahead, do it, because I want to be with you. And he's just like, no, you can't live the life of a vampire. Or maybe he turns them into damp peers. I don't know what the fuck he does. But when he pushes her away, like, she's basically not wearing anything under that shirt. So it's open, it's showing her. And then, of course, that's enough time for the hand to go ahead and rattle Dee's feathers a little bit. Why can't you at least be honest with yourself? So your blood is cursed. That girl was ready for it to rise to the occasion. The great and powerful Dompier. You know what your father would have done. That's enough. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Oh, so your father would have totally gotten his dick out and fucking risen to the occasion and made her his bride and then, you know, had a bunch of vampire kids all over the place. And you, you're a fucking idiot and for not just going and jumping on the occasion. Like, I like the fact that says, well, she wanted you to rise to the occasion. I wonder what that meant. Maybe he's just a limp dick and he needs to get something to get him going. Who the fuck knows? But I have a feeling that it is the fact that, like, he can't control those vampiric urges when he's around the woman or around women in general. So, who knows what the truth is, but he doesn't want to infect anybody with whatever his curse is either. This is where I wish we had a little more information or it was a little bit longer or I had read the fucking books before so that I would have gotten a lot more than what we're actually getting in the film. The next morning, we see that Ray is back and this time he's actually... Uh, gotten the candle he's killed greco and taken it back from him so when he comes up to the house this time he's using that candle's light and burning the incense and it really does weaken d and he manages to mortally stab him in the chest with the wooden stake and then cut off the arm that happens to have the little hand guy on it uh, he takes Doris and Danny both back to the castle. I don't know why he took Danny. Just fucking take Doris. It doesn't make any sense to fucking take Danny. What is he gonna do? Is he gonna be a leverage? Look, you better finish with this marriage or I'm gonna kill fucking Danny. Maybe. Maybe that's the way it goes. But who knows the real reasons why he's taking this stupid little kid. We then go back over and we see that D is lying on the ground and the hand happens to still be alive. Although a little bit away from D and detached from his body. He starts crawling over because he sees one of those cloud mist things are coming and possibly going to come and devour all of Dee's body. So he reattaches himself and then starts eating dirt. I don't get it. Like, maybe there's something to do with the fact that, you know, dirt comes from the ground and that helps with the resurrection. Or, fuck if I know, but he starts eating a bunch of dirt, starts swallowing a bunch of air, and then notices that the cloud has noticed that Dee's body is there after witnessing it, devour some snake at random. So he's trying to get D to wake up. It's coming closer and closer and closer. Keeps pounding on D's chest until D finally wakes up. He slashes at it with his sword and the cloud turns into chunks of meat. Like, not like real chunks of meat, but like chunks of monster. And it doesn't make any sense to me why all of a sudden out of the middle of nowhere, like, it looks like it's a vaporeal cloud that just like melts things inside of itself but it's able to be sliced in half and completely destroyed. 
So Dean now back up on his feet. He starts rushing over to the castle to go ahead and save Doris. In the meantime, we see that Lamaka, she's going to make one last effort to have her father stop from even marrying Doris and not to ruin their lineage, where he finally explains to her that she's not as noble as she thinks she is. You've become such a stubborn child. Please, father. I'm begging you. You must reconsider this wedding. You can't let that lowborn human filth join our family. Can't I? My life has lasted eons, and if taking her gives me pleasure, I shall do so. But do not mistake this for anything permanent. This girl is but a plaything for my entertainment, one that I will use and discard. Father, can't you see how dangerous this creature is? The whole family is at risk! Foolish girl! Taking one human into our fold is hardly enough to cause the fall of the House of Lee. For if it were... It would have fallen when I took your mother. The lowly human whose blood runs in your veins. I have lived in this world for 10,000 years, and you lack the capacity to understand what that truly means. When years cease to have a meaning, boredom is a mortal foe. It is a war for constant stimulation, and if that means debasing our line with humans, then so be it. And after all, since we took control of their lands, the humans owe us something in exchange for the simple existences our efforts allow them. When you consider that, a human female every fifty years or so is nothing. Father, I demand you take back that falsehood! But it's all true, my dear. Your mother was human. No! 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 <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? All the pride of a true noble, despite your parentage. However, as I can't allow your tantrums to disturb my wedding, I shall leave you here until your temper has abated. So this would mean that just like Dee, she is a Dampier as well. And this really kind of fucks with her mind because she believes that it's not true. There's no way she's totally noble and he's basically like, look... You know, every so often, you know, I need to make sure that I get my rocks off. I don't need to be with a vampire bitch the entire time. And if so be it, I marry a human and I have either offspring or I just enjoy my time with a fuck toy for a while. So be it. I'm fucking old. I need to be like have entertainment in my life. And this is what I find entertaining. And she can't quite understand that because maybe she truly isn't that old. But then it makes you think. Well, how does she think that she was born? Like, does she think that she was turned? Like, has she always lived with her father and just realized, had, does she grow old? Like, she's, was she born exactly the same way? Like, did she pop out of her mom's vagine as just, like, a full-grown woman and was like, oh, hey, this is how I'm here? Like, she had to have known that she was born from a, a human mom at some point. And does that mean when you grow to a certain age, you just stop growing? Like, how long was she a little kid for? Same thing with D. How long was he? What what does he exactly look like? Because if he looks like a teenager and they're kind of started to, like, give a little seeds in there that he might be a lot older than you actually think he is, maybe as old or older as Count Lee himself who's at least 10,000 years old and looks pretty good for 10,000 as well, though he does have a, like a little bit of gray, but who knows when he was turned. Like, the whole thing is just like bringing up all these things that I want to know about the way this society works with vampires and dampiers. So, 
She is totally denied, and she's basically held in stasis while he goes to get married. As Lee walks down the hallway, he's confronted by Ray, and Ray is like, Look, I did what you wanted. I killed D. I brought you Doris. Now make me part of the nobility like you said you would. And then Lee's like, You failed so fucking much. You think I'm going to do that? Maybe in 50 years you can be the next part of the nobility or something. And then he just walks away, denying both Ray and Lamica for what they want. Uh, we see that Danny has escaped, he's woken up, and he starts, like, driving, he's about to take a shot at Lee, as Lee's walking with Doris and his horde of cronies behind him, uh, so that he can go get married, and when he goes to take the shot, he's startled and he's dropped off, but he's rescued by Ray. We then see Ray, he comes up on the catwalk, and he confronts Count Lee, bringing with him the incense that he's lit, but things don't turn out just the way that he wants them to. Ray, stand aside or die. Your days are over, Count Lee. Wait 50 years, you said. Do you even remember what 50 years is to us? I lost my left hand because of you. I watched all my comrades die, and for what? But all that ends here and now. You're going to die, Count Lee. <laughs> Did you really think that would work on me, you fool? Yes, he really thought it would work because the thing that your boss gives you to kill somebody else is really going to work on your boss. Like, that is so ridiculous if you thought that would actually work. And Ray pays the ultimate price. And it actually pretty is, like, one of the most gruesome ways to fucking kill somebody. So he uses his telekinetic powers to, like, throw him into a bunch of, like, pillars all over the place, smashing his head on every single pillar as it goes by until he throws him above the archway that he's going to be walking into, holds him there, tells him goodbye, and then totally explodes his head as we see it blow out almost in slow motion, but we see it blow out in pieces. You get a close-up like it's being ripped apart, then it moves back, and when it blows out, you see his eyes go forward, you see his brain pop out and explode, and the whole head goes everywhere, and it's really well done, really well animated, and really fucking gory and gross at all at the same time. Uh, so he walks into the main hallway, carrying his bride, getting everybody ready to be married, and then who happens to show up, but D comes in to save the day, and before they begin doing their fight, he explains to Lee that there is no way that he is in any shape or form a noble person. You may call yourself nobility, but the real nobles died long ago. In this world, you are just transient guests. Transient guests? That's right. The nobility in this castle are ghosts forgotten by time. It's time to return to the world where you belong! <laughs> you never cease to amuse me. You're a dumb peer, the product of some vampire's straying loins. You think you can defeat me, mongrel? I'll finish you off and then have the girl as my main course. So then D and Lee start fighting, and honestly, in the beginning, D kind of holds his own, but eventually he gets caught up in Lee's telekinetic powers, and he's not quite able to break everything up. He kind of gets thrown over different places, and he's being held in the air, and Lee, he really doesn't want to kill him in the same way that he killed Ray, so he has other ideas for him, but something changes in D, and he's able to fight back. Oh, how pathetic you are. 
One should know one's limits, Dampier. I can't imagine what you thought hunting one such as I, but you are no match for true nobility. But wait, it would be too dull to dispatch you in the same manner as Ray. Ah, yes. <laughs> I don't know how many you've put down with this blade, but its steel is certainly accustomed to killing your own kind. And it's only fitting that you die by your own sword. It can't be. What are you? So this is when he decides to open up a can of whoop-ass and use his own telekinetic abilities against Lee as well. So he kind of turns that shade of blue that he did earlier when he bit the Lamia. Uh, but in this case, he's using his own telekinetic powers to fight back. So D then decides to bum rush Lee with his sword and is able to actually mortally wound him with the edge of his sword, not before Lee is able to stab D pretty seriously with a dagger, but D is able to survive. Lee is thrown up onto the wall and that's where Lamaka comes into the room and scolds her dad for what he's done. Lee can't believe what's been going on the whole thing and he can't believe that Lamaka is on their side and because she really feels that this is what's ended their lineage and what's ended their nobility before lee dies he looks up at a picture of count dracula then he looks back at d and he realizes that there's a connection between the two and that he is actually the offspring of dracula and a woman not before dying and as the castle is crashing around them lamaka decides her fate at this point in the film it can't be you, the offspring of our sacred ancestor. D, ancestor, shall I stay and die here with my father? I'm a man, not your sacred ancestor. I am a noble, and if our sacred ancestor says we must die, then it is my duty to obey. No, human blood flows in your veins as it does mine. As a dump here, you can make your own choice to live without the trappings and flawed rules of the nobility. But I... I am a pure noble, my blood pure and unpolluted! Even at the end, when everything is crumbling around her and she's been told that she is a mixture of nobility and human blood, she still wants to believe that she actually is a noble and this is her fate. And the one big thing that you heard there is the fact that Lee is now fallen off the wall because the castle is crumbling and he's been crushed by one of the giant boulders that are there. So she decides to stay and not escape and live life as a human because she can't come to accept that. So she dies along with the castle and along with Count Lee and whoever's stuck in there. Dee, Doris, and Dan, they're all able to escape the castle as it crumbles around. And you get this weird color show that happens afterwards of the sky changing and eventually turning from the pink hue that it's been to a nice bright blue. We see the countryside and everybody is, you know, it seems like it's happy and it's now peaceful. And we see Dee walking away or riding away on his horse in the distance. That's when we get, uh, we see that Doris and Dan are running towards the edge of a hillside, running after D. And what I don't get here, honestly, before we get to the, the last little thing and we play the last clip and the theme song and everything like that, is the fact that, like, 
he's going away, and what Dr. Faringo said is totally true. Once the danger is done, he's going to move on. So he's totally moving on, but she's not trying to convince him or do anything to stay. Once he's killed a vampire, she's like, nope, okay, I'm done. I don't have to do anything with you anymore. I don't need you. Just get the fuck off my property. Get the fuck away from here. And I'm going to make sure that to say that we love you, but I really don't fucking love you because... If I did, I'd be really chasing after you and trying to convince you would stay. But instead, all I'm going to do is just say... Hey, D! Mr. D! D! And that was Vampire Hunter D. It has a. I want to play that whole song for you, the whole little ending theme song, because it goes into another one. But I like how grandiose that all feels. Like the journey is done, and we have this echoing, triumphant music now that we've defeated Count Lee. The world has been turned, at least this area has been turned back to normal, and D goes off into the distance after a job well done. So. That's Vampire Hunter D. Now, there are some things that you do miss by listening to me and by not seeing the animation. Because, like I said before, it's very beautiful. I love the way everything's done. But it is a very 80s style of animation. And some people really love to live on the nostalgia of this style when it comes to anime. But some people like the newer version or whatever. I'm a fan of both. I think you can get some really beautiful things nowadays. Like, uh, I was recently watching the most latest Macross series that was done. Uh, and the animation on that is beautiful. And they really blend the CGI anime stuff with the standard animation really well. And I'm thoroughly enjoying that. But a lot of people think this is like the heyday of Japanese animation. 
And, you know, to an extent, there are some things that could be done a little better. I kind of like the 90s and early 2000s versions of anime as well. I think those animation styles are very, very good. But overall, there are a couple flaws in the story that's going on here. One, everything moves really quickly. Like, they took the whole book, they tried to truncate it as much as they could, and we need, I feel more information about the world. I think you get that from actually reading the full novel and not necessarily just getting the truncated version of Vampire Hunter D that you get from the film. But that being said, the Japanese version is a little more in-depth just because the translation, I feel, is not as good as it could be. And I think things get changed for a U.S. audience or an English-speaking audience than they do in Japanese, and maybe you don't really recognize them as well. Or it's something that's cultural that they try to translate over to whatever we have here to make it more connected to us, which is fine. But, you know, that's why I try to watch these films in the original language versus watching them in English. But the 80s has some really great dubbers at the same time. Even though it's a little cheesy at times and some people may really hate it, I still think that, and it holds a very near place to my heart, and some people do it really well. And then there are the really bad ones, and there's still really bad ones today. People just trying to make a quick buck to make sure that a show either gets onto air or gets into people's hands because, hey, this is the popular style of anime at this time in the West, and we need to capitalize on that money over there. Get you some of that money, son. Uh, so, uh, overall, I think that the film is, it still holds up. There's still some nostalgia glasses on it for me, but I think, like I said, Outside of the dub, I think the animation is key to this staying strong. And I think the subject matter of the story is a big key of this still remaining as strong to me as when I first watched it as a young kid. So if I have to give this film a rating, I'm going to give this out of the gore. It's a 4 out of 5. It turned out to be a lot gorier than I thought it was going to be. You see brain matter. You see uh, intestines and things flying everywhere. Hands going all over the place. Blood splattering everywhere. It's that type of anime from back in the day. A lot more adult than I expected it to be. And maybe when I first saw it on the TV, it was really censored. And I just didn't realize it was that censored. So, uh... From that, uh, the crap factor of this film, I give it a 2 out of 5. Um, I think that the dub does suffer a little bit, but I think, again, it's because of the time that it was at. It's not because of, like, anything else, honestly. It's just specifically that error in time, and they've managed to kind of dub things a lot better. Because if you look at, this is even better, this is comparable to like a Godzilla dub where that's those ones were pretty terrible in the 60s and 50s and 70s and it's gotten much better at this point in time. The fun factor it's a 4 out of 5 like I said the animation is absolutely beautiful the characters are fantastic um it is just an entertaining piece I mean there are still some times where I can stop a film and just not finish it or do half here half there if I get tired at night going through, I'm like, I'll pick this up tomorrow and make sure I finish my notes and stuff. Nope. From beginning to end, I have to watch this whole movie and I still have to do it whenever I see it on. If I ever saw it on TV again, which you don't get as very often, but if it's on a streaming service, like right now, it's still on YouTube, it's worth another watch. And the sequel is actually pretty good too. And I actually like the sequel story a lot more than I like this one. Um, and that one, there's a little more background for D. Uh, but 
I still want to know more without having to read all like 50 fucking books that there are on this whole series. So if you're really interested, go back and listen to that stuff. So with that being said, my overall score of this, it is four out of five panty shots with a total, I think, of 10 total panty shots that we had in the entire fucking movie over an hour and 21 minutes, which seems fucking ridiculous. So for that, what are we going to see for the next movie? Well, we're still sticking in anime, uh, and like I said before, we are going into the, uh, well, probably the most famous Western anime, like not Western, but Westernized anime that there is that everybody remembers. Neo Tokyo is about to explode. Streamline Pictures presents a state-of-the-art adventure, Akira. right we're going to be looking at akira uh the english dub which is interesting (laughs) i've seen both i like both um but the english dub is very very interesting and it's definitely a like a you know a thing of the times um especially again it's the 80s dub but it's a very interesting movie you can watch it right now on hulu for free or you can rent it on a bunch of different platforms i think voodoo i think there's another one that has it for free as well it's like tulu or tufu or some shit like that but if you have hulu go ahead and watch it right now it was on netflix for the longest time but it's not there i'm pretty sure you can definitely rent it on youtube uh but i think it might be available for uh you know stream through somebody on youtube you can find it if you really want to find it but definitely if you have hulu go watch it there that's what i'll be watching and where i'll be watching if you have a hulu account uh, before we go too, I want to say a big shout out to Alex, uh, King from the, uh, Beyond the Void Horror Podcast. Uh, it's going to be his birthday the day after this comes out. So I want to wish him a happy birthday one and say that you guys need to go back. And if you've seen the movie Us, please go and listen to him and Brittany go ahead and talk about Us. Alex did a really good job of finding a bunch of really random things in there. Not necessarily random, but all the kind of little hidden kooky things. Um, and they did a really good job breaking down the movie. So if you've seen it, 
Go listen to that podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then go by his Twitch channel, which I think is twitch.com slash darkrain. Um, and wish him a happy birthday if you're listening to this on Saturday. Otherwise, just go ahead and hit him up at uh, BTV Podcast or BTV Cast on Twitter and say happy birthday, Alex, uh, from the Terrible Terror Podcast. So with that being said, don't forget to follow the podcast on everything like Facebook, facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast, Twitter, T underscore T underscore podcast, and rate review us on things like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, Spotify, Blueberry, Podbean, your mom's basement, whatever you can find out there that you want to give us a like and a review, we'd really appreciate it. As well as Instagram, terrible terror podcast, uh, and YouTube, terrible terror podcast. And we'll see you next time with Akira. Thanks, guys.